Are you ready to get fired up? This is the Spitfire Podcast with your host, Lauren Lemunyan, the Spitfire Coach, a certified life and business coach out of Washington, D.C. We're talking to everyday people on the topics that burn them out and ignite their passion. So sit back, relax, and get ready to spit some fire. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Lauren Lemunyan, and I'm super excited that you have joined us for season two of the Spitfire podcast. Now, if you didn't catch any of the episodes in season one, fear not. They're available on our website at spitfirepodcast.com, or you can listen to them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So head on over there, click the link, download it, subscribe, tell your friends, and enjoy the show. So welcome back to the Spitfire podcast. Oh, uh, we goodness. just had a major audio snafu, and luckily I leveraged my fear yeah. <laughs> to bring it back right in the down middle of and that conversation. check. Yeah, we were talking about fear, and I was like, light bulb, what am I worried about right now? And it was the fact that audio was getting picked up in my computer, not these fabulous mics that I have. So we are back and restarting with Bobby Blackman. You, you may have missed a really great introductory conversation. And if I can bring it out and make yeah, the yeah. volume amazing, then I'm going to bring it in. If not, then talk about something completely It's all different. good. This was just like warm-up discussion. Yeah. So now you're ready and like fine-tuned on all your points. So today we I are... have t- no points. That's you have no points. The, that's kind of the point. The yeah. point is no points. This is Meditate a- and go empty because you don't want to plan out what you say. True story. Extemporaneous sometimes is better from the heart. This is true. I yeah. have people ask me like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, well, this is going to be the topic. Well, should I put some points together? I said, no. Well, I like to be organized. I'm like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> organized I, is boring. I got, I got nervous like a little bit. And then to get over the nervousness, instead of focusing on me and what I was going to do, I shifted my focus to you. Uh-huh. Seriously. I said, Lauren's a professional. She does this for a fucking living. Like she's a conversational. She's in season two. She's got like 59 episodes. Like Boom. Or, like, That's true. This, this she, is going to be 59. She can, like this is her. You're, you're not going in there to hold a fucking show up, Bobby. She wants to talk to you for an hour, dude. Okay, get over yourself. But as soon as I shifted my focus off of me, like, and told myself a story about how capable you were, it changed the anxiety level. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you entrust me um, with my professional skills, even though I clearly <laughs> did not represent that for the last 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, funny that I say that after, like, but I didn't 20 even, minutes of audio. I didn't freak out. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> no, no, it was pretty seamless. Yeah. So today we are talking about using your bottom and if I can get the the clip from earlier it's pretty funny because there is a triple entendre about the the bottom of your life hitting rock bottom um your actual bottom and then being a bottom in relationships yeah because I'm bisexual so and I don't think Lauren I don't think you knew that I didn't know that we're learning lots of things so when you said uh using your bottom as a double entendre I immediately saw a third a third. Yeah. Maybe there's even a fourth that comes <clears throat> Although, out. Although, like, typically, um, I mean, it's got to be really special for me to bottom, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, and then. Like Henry Cavill, Ryan Gosling, Idris Elba, I mean, they. They're they, on your they list. Could, yeah, they could I'd bottom <laughs> out for those dudes any day. There's bottoming out. There's then um, in um, prostitution, there's the bottom bitch, who's like the head, oh, yeah, the head the woman. Head, yeah, yep. the head prostitute. Yeah, so people have called me. South Park. Did you? The butters. I the, may butters have. Butters is a pimp. Oh, you know what? I learned that on like one of the A and E shows that uh, they go out and they try to help prostitutes. It's so funny. This conversation is taking a very different tone it's already. Good. It's gonna go back to <laughs> it's gonna go back to consciousness and fear and addiction and all, all of that. that. I mean, it had like yeah, yeah. 
So someone asked me, um, and this is why I thought of this topic when when we were chatting, um, do you need to feel the bottom, the rock bottom of a situation to have the epiphany, the awareness, the big catalyst to change your life? Well, I had to. You also kind of pick when that bottom stops because if you, like as an addict, you know, if you keep digging, I mean, the bottom will get deeper. Mm -hmm. So I was only able to appreciate that where I was in my life was rock bottom with the benefit of a little bit of hindsight and a little bit of growth and a lot of support and love from my Mm -hmm. friends. Uh, So, but I can look back on a period of my life, like not, not a singular incident, but like a period of life, like a, like a lemony snicket's portion of my life the unfortunate events yeah, a series of them actually yeah well and that just got me to thinking like are you aware that it's a bottom while you're in the bottom or do you have to get out of it to recognize that it was your bottom yeah so part of the reason and you know we talked about this a little earlier um in february 2016 i uh, i tried to kill myself by taking all the pills that i had in, in my house and i one of the things i looked back uh, that i was experiencing was i was terrified that i was just going to keep finding a lower bottom and I was hurting people Mm -hmm. and I was hurting myself and uh I had tried everything that I knew and that that a lot of reasonable people had told me about you know how to keep my shit together and uh it wasn't it wasn't working and so I I saw you know I saw I just saw my life getting worse and worse like I was couldn't get off drugs I couldn't stop drinking and I at that point, I was actually trying not to drink and use drugs un- unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And I was in the middle of you know, being kicked out of the military after 18 years. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a, a series of... Yeah, it's like, how much more do you need to experience to yeah. realize that something's got to give? Sure. But when you're in the thick of it, when that becomes your norm, when the bottom becomes your existence, your label, well, this is just how it's going to go. And this is what I hear and see from so many people with this victim mentality of life just keeps happening to me and I can't make it stop because, you know, God has it out for me. Life has it out for me. This is just going to keep happening. At what point did you take ownership and say, I have to do something differently? When I was in rehab, I had a doctor, a psychiatrist who um, on our intake visit, he held up my uh, prescription list and said, this is not a sustainable life for you. Mm. You're a 36 year old, I was 36, he said, you're a 36 year old man, you can't. I was taking you know, 16, 17 different medications. Wow. How was your liver at that point? <sighs> I mean, it's anybody's guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I was overweight, alcoholic, y- using drugs and, and uh, So, so that was the first step, and then from there, Dr. Han or the, the my psychiatrist uh, suggested that I attend a yoga, mindfulness, and meditation group. This was at the the brain injury clinic in the uh, co-occurring outpatient hospital at Fort Belvoir. They had this kind of pilot program with mindfulness, meditation, yoga, these types of types of alternative modalities. And so, it was him taking me off drugs, ordering me to to do this kind of like alternative therapy along with everything else that was going on and uh and then my introduction to writing also like through a writing workshop there is where I started to play guitar and write music and mm-hmm. which is like when that. I so then met you I, yeah. yeah so my boyfriend is 
big in the music scene and runs a singer-songwriter series. And two years ago, I met you performing at the Black Hat. And I dropped the standard of the nine. No, you did not. Get out of here. (laughs) Uh, Like, it's crazy because I didn't know who Justin was at the time. And now I do. Is he a BFD to you? Yeah. (laughs) Of course he is. not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just not, it's, um, I don't know, Justin cares about music and he cares about the people that play music. So he takes it very seriously. That's a a big deal to me. Yeah. And to him, it's not about, are you the best singer? Are you the best player? But do you give a shit? No, no kidding. hundred percent. That's it. Yeah. Like, just show up and do your best. Like, you could be the best performer, you know, the best singer, but if you're an a-hole yeah. and, and a jerk, like, nobody wants to deal with you. You're left with no other opinion. In a short amount of time, I, I was left with no other opinion of Justin, and he was very glad that I, that I was there and has, yeah. This is, this is the Justin segment of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's fawn over him. Yeah, but but it's so amazing that music is a great connector and music can help you express. But you also mentioned writing. Mm. And you were part of a documentary that just came out on HBO. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, there's a poet named Sima Reza who uh, is the chair of a nonprofit called Community Building Artworks. Community Building Artworks takes uh, art and music therapy programs to high-risk veteran populations, homeless, on the brink of suicide, even active duty that are in uh, clinics like the one that I was in, recovering from brain injuries and things. So I was participating in a writing workshop that was led by Sima and an actor named Jeffrey Wright. Who who, is Bernard on Westworld, which is freaking incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Jeffrey had some friends in the military that he had worked with through some projects that he had in Sierra Leone and some other places and had asked somebody at the Pentagon that he knew how he could get involved. And they introduced him to Sima. And he came and observed a few of our workshops and asked if we would be interested in collaborating with him on a project. And so today is the two-year anniversary of when we performed at the Landsberg wow. Theater in D.C. Yeah, we were all just no texting. Way. Jeffrey and Serene, our director, we were all just texting this morning. Like, So we wrote this, this spoken word performance, um, 10 veterans and Seema as the, the facilitator and Jeffrey. And performed it at the uh, Landsberg Theater in D.C. Uh, two years ago today. Cool. And from the footage that was taken from us writing the project and performing it that night, they pitched it to HBO, and it got picked up as a documentary that aired on uh, November 8th of What's it called? 2018. It's called We Are Not Done Yet. And it uh, profiles veterans using art, and music and building community and developing vulnerability mm-hmm. uh, to help treat and process trauma instead of just going to doctors and taking pills. Yeah. Uh, it also chronicles some of the things that we talked about earlier that didn't get captured, like uh, part of me being uh, separated from the Marine Corps was directly related to some of the things that I got caught up in while I was heavily addicted. And uh, there comes a point where your misconduct outweighs your need for treatment Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the military. And that's a really big problem, especially for, I was very fortunate that I I still receive treatment um, through the military on the outside. It's something I'll never have to pay for. I'm grateful for that. But there are others who leave the military because of things that they are punished for that are directly related to their inability to process what they've been through. Mm. Even if it's before they came in the military, we still have a right to help make them whole. But because of the characterization of how you leave the military, it may 
that's the stamp you get. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's so crazy. And, but it, I if mean, I go to prison, I'll get free healthcare for life. But if I leave the military because of a, a night where I came home after a deployment and I used cocaine and I popped on a urinalysis test after seven combat deployments, this is a friend of mine, seven combat deployments, you know, as a, with millions of dollars invested in him as an army ranger and, and some other, so you can, you can go to prison and get healthcare, but you, you have this, this blip on your radar as a highly decorated soldier and then you're on your, and own. You're on your own. Yeah. It's like, you're only, you're only as good as your last mistake. Yeah. Wow. It's tough. That is tough. <clears throat> and it's like it, the policies are made from people who probably have never been exposed to this. A bunch of them, I'm sure. Until yeah. now when they probably do know people because drug, drug use related to the opiate addiction related from painkillers that are actively prescribed, uh, it's now more prominent than ever. Oh, no respecter of persons. Opiates are tearing through every, every area of society right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone in my family is is struggling from that. So, um, I think until you experience it, it's really easy to, um, stereotype it or to generalize it as someone else's problem. And once we start seeing each other as, as just humans that are doing the best they can and that anybody can be affected, then we can start looking for solutions we have this misguided notion that that there's fatigue to real compassion i've heard that phrase before and i don't i don't believe in it compassion fatigue no we 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 have this um kind of like institutionalized belief at least through our behavior that there comes a point where someone's unredeemable and that we've given enough of our time and resources to them and i'm not saying that there's not a lot of people and there's or that there's a lot of people and that there's not a lot of resources i i get that but there's a better way than just cutting bait on a on a person, there is nothing that another human being can do that will ever distance themselves from their worthiness, mm-hmm. from their their need for and their their right to compassion and joy. It's your birthright. And look, I'm and I struggle with this a lot. So, I, and I use this as an example. Like even someone who is as reviled and who as as a who has behaved and wasted his life in such a disgusting fashion as our president deserves love and compassion. Everybody, nobody can outrun their worthiness for love. As soon as we start drawing lines about who gets to be loved and who doesn't, Mm -hmm. boy, we've compromised every piece of our humanity, like the stuff that we need to come home. Yeah. We have to at least recognize that there's a way to make space to love everybody like to a point where it's fucking painful yeah and i'm not saying like i know how to do that but i'm trying every day to figure it out and i think that's what it's about it's not about being the perfect specimen and and living life perfectly and and fully compassionately but it's being aware when you're not in alignment with who you're supposed to be awareness that's a great that's yeah yeah because i had i had a client say to me um she's been doing great work um super aware, super conscious. And she told me that she got really frustrated and disappointed with herself when she got angry the other day. And I said, Mm. why? She said, because I feel like it, it took all my progress away, that it didn't matter all these months of work, working with you and and working on myself. I said, are you fucking kidding me? And she's like, 
what are you talking about? I said, do you know how many times I get pissed off in a week? You're so allowed to get angry. It's a human experience. Yeah. It's a beautiful. It, get anger fucking is an, pissed. It's an exquisite emotion. It's got nooks and crannies it's and so edges. Good. And it's fucking brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's where the best rock songs come from. Fucking A, man. That's where your awareness of your boundaries come from. That's where those red flags of self-exploration come from. Yep. You numb that out, you are a robot. And that is boring. Yeah. She, yeah. she was like, really? I said, yeah, th- the object of this is not for you to be numb and to be like smiling all the time and super happy. It's about you being aware of how you want to feel. You can be angry and not have your peace, like your general peace of who you are and what's like where, who, who you are in the world and what you are in the world yeah. without that being disturbed. It's all about you making the choice. If you decide, I don't want to be angry anymore, you have that choice. If you're deciding to be angry, you have that choice. Well, that's a, such an empowering isn't it? Yeah. You're right. It's your it's a it's a choice. I had this conversation at Christmas with, with some people in a who are deeply entrenched in Southern Baptist dogma. I'm not bitter. Uh, <laughs> Can't hear I went all. to Liberty University for undergrad. Did Lauren. you really? I have a bachelor's degree in Holy religion. Crap. I used to be a Southern Baptist youth pastor. Wow. Oh yeah. What a way you I have come. an associate's <laughs> degree from the Word of Life Bible Institute. Oh yeah. I was a self hating gay for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to pray the gay away for years and years. Oh, oh uh, liberty, liberty, liberty. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I forgot where I was going with I that. Know, I know. Sidetracked. They but. got you. Oh, so you, you were having a conversation over Christmas. Oh, yeah. About... Um, Being angry. A, 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 a significant other of a family member of the family who I was visiting for Christmas. And nobody liked him because of these things that he did. And I said, well, isn't liking him up to you? And yeah. the table went full stop. I was a fucking stranger there. Right? Yeah. I'm like, Black I know what, yeah. <laughs> and she, the, the matriarch is, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if, if I'm only going to like this guy based on what he does and whether or not it conforms to like something that I think is like kosher, well, isn't that similar to conditional love? Mm-hmm. And I said, that, yeah, I said, I, said, I, I would love, I, I get it. I can be super like soapboxy and stuff. I'm working on it. Like I ain't perfect. I get it. I know where I am. Like yeah. a lot of work to do still. I mean, it's, it's, it's a check and balance. I mean, when I became a coach, when I was first in training, like we called the mods. So the first training I went through was a three day, 10 hours each day. Oof. And I was like, I'm so enlightened. Let me tell everybody how to live their life. Yeah. And I started writing a book. And looking back on it now, I was like, what an asshole I was. Oh, fuck. Like, I wrote this book called Checkbox Zombies, How to Live Your Life Without Expectations. And I made this, like, very one-sided view that if you use checkboxes, you are a zombie. And, like, you're not in control of your life. I'm like, I like checkboxes. It keeps me organized. Oh, my. (laughs) But, yeah, like, when you first have this awareness, you have like this whole like 180 degree shift yep. and you think, oh, now this is the right way. So I got to tell everybody about yep. it. But you just become the same aspect of the opposite side. I know you have to be so, but at least you're awake and aware. Yeah. And the difference is now, like I, I don't judge myself for that shit anymore. Like yeah. I don't beat myself up. I'm more likely to chuckle at myself when I'm being an asshole, like super yeah. pedantic or than I am to like punish myself or shame myself for it. You got to look I, at it like a baby giraffe. Like it's going to be awkward at first, but man, it's cute. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was waiting for the big finish on that. I don't know this analogy. This is going to be I fun. Didn't know. I didn't know where it was going to go either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's I, enlightenment's like a baby giraffe. It's a little awkward. You're getting your bearings. I mean, I've only been at this for like a year. I only, you know, kind of woke up to the, the 
the the reality that yeah. there was a like a conscious soul living inside this body and like stopped identifying with my body and my emotions very recently you know it's been like maybe a year and a half of conscious yeah. trying to you know have conscious living so totally i mean i i went through all my stuff like three and a half years ago and looking back on it, it feels like such a long time ago but in actual time it's not that far it's such a baby step it's such yeah. a baby step i'm which is why i'm willing to accept the notion that i uh I like my haughtiness like shows up in different ways. My guru talks about all the all the time about spiritual ego being aware of like yeah. mind mindful of spiritual ego that it's okay to give yourself credit for like how the like knowledge and how far you've come and things like that but you know like you ain't done yet. Not, knowledge is like the whole knowledge <laughs> is like a penis it's okay to have one but you don't have to share it with everybody. You have to put it on a or table. Put, or like, <laughs> just bring it out and display it everywhere you go, right? I'm so glad. That's great. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I'm now going to have that vision in my head. Yeah, I mean, it's... So I'm looking at... I, it's funny because I just had another type of bottom happen. Not as extreme as what I experienced when I was living in Las Vegas where I, like, realized my marriage was over and I was... I didn't know you were married. Oh, Yeah. You didn't read my book then. No, I haven't read your book. I do listen to your podcast, but I haven't read your book. Yeah, so I was married for almost five years. Do you talk about that on your podcast? Yeah, uh, very briefly. I don't go in depth because I, I, so. I assume everybody's reading my book, you know? What? <laughs> well, I mean, you have been enlightened for three and a half years you now. You know, so I'm kind of on this journey book. and shit. These fucking checkbox zombies that won't read your book. What is wrong with them? <laughs> I got to put it on their checkbox list. Yeah. Um, no, but I was married and living in Las Vegas. And actually, it's almost four years that this happened. Um, and I was so miserable because I was living for everybody else. And I owned a CrossFit gym and I was working 16 hours a day, traveling every two weeks, you know, domestically and internationally. And I had to drive to Phoenix to run an event. And I was so stressed out. I like dropped my mom who was visiting from, from, uh, I think she was in New Hampshire at that point. I dropped her off at the airport and then like sped down, which is a five hour drive to Phoenix. And like a car hits or uh, a rock hits my car, splits like the windshield and I'm like fuck this ah like bad out of hell driving as fast as I could and I didn't slow down even though I was like so just like tight gripping the wheel and I realized like oh, I'm just man. so angry and I'm so frustrated and I can't stop this Boy, and I proceeded to just drink and drink and drink and drink to the point where I blacked out at a reception in a bathroom and the staff had to sneak me out on a golf cart to get me back to my room what? and my boss was there he never found out and if you read the book you would know but I could have sacrificed an 11-year career on one bad move because I was so out of control. And I was, we had another site visit in Palm Springs. It was me and my meeting planner who knew what was going on. She knew I was like super unhappy in my personal life. And so she was kind of like this mother bird to me. And I just said, I got to stop this. Like, I need to seek out a coach. I need to figure out whatever I'm going to do. And I had heard about a coach from my dad. Um, and I actually reached out to him. And within four weeks of that moment, I was filing for divorce because I knew that he was, there was nothing wrong with him. He just wasn't for me. Like he was holding me in this pattern of the five bedroom house. By the way, I was paying for everything. I was making, he was holding you in that pattern. Yeah. Well, he wanted, he wanted the comfortable life. Yeah. But you was, you was holding you in that. I was, well, he was a heavy weight on it. And I was like, well, if he's happy, then I'm happy. So in my mind, I was like, he's going to dictate when I get my turn to be happy. Uh-uh. I know. And so I was like, wait a second, when do I get my turn? So I heard about coaching and I was like, I want to be a coach. I want to go get certified. And I tell him like, I'm super excited for the first time in like a year, like, bah, 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 bah. and he was like, well, whatever. And no. I was like, no. On, yeah. And that was it. I was, was like, was he gels? Was he like, comparison? he was worried. 
Well, he, there was probably was a little bit, but he, his emotional range was very short compared mm. to mine. Like I felt the highs and the lows all in the same conversation and yeah. he was just here, but he also liked creature comforts, like knowing how his mortgage was going to get paid and who was going to take care of the house and who was going to take care of the business, which is what I did. Been there. So yeah, same, same. at the end, of, by the end of April, we were divorced of 2015 and I let him stay in the house for a little bit, but I was just like, this is not healthy. And so he moved out and I put the house on the market Moved back here in October of that year. Sold everything. Took my dog and what I could fit in my car. Rico Suave. Rico Suave. You. So started 2.0 and then and then decided like my job is toxic too. Like this environment is super toxic. Were you doing CrossFit stuff out here too? No, no, no. As soon as I moved back here, I just stopped all that because I realized that it was kind of drilling this competitive energy in me that I didn't really dig. Mm, um, yeah. it, great results. It was great for a community. Um, but I realized once I was here that it didn't fit who I was anymore. Yeah, it was just fine. So I, I ended up resigning from my job with no clients and have been doing this for three years. Fast forward to... Now I got approached to run a nonprofit and I did it for all four weeks and I went, I don't want this because it was too much of former self coming back in ego. Wow. I was so miserable how, for those four weeks. Insight, how, how beautifully insightful is that? Though? Yeah, but I was miserable. And Justin's like, can you push it through? I'm like, why would I want to? Hmm. I would never tell my client to just push it through. Wow. I would never tell anybody that I cared about to just stick it out. That's like, cool to hear the, um, the actual like conversation around, around you sticking to that decision point though. Yeah. But I w- it's something that you still, like it still comes up and it's still something you have to like weigh and consider, like you trust to go through the process. And- yeah. I was like, why am I making these decisions to take a lower paying job that consumes my time versus something that I love doing and make a shit ton more money doing. Yeah. Makes no sense. And they they tried to convince me to come back. And I said, let me just break down the common sense to you. Yeah. They don't fit. (laughs) Like it takes me five, six hours to make what I make in an hour. And I actually love doing this stuff. So I just said, no, I'm done. Um, And I'm sure they're not very happy with me, but... Honestly, I wasn't very happy with them, but it wasn't even about them. I realized that at the end, like it's about me. I, I too, I, I have to circle back to coming out on a golf cart. <laughs> like, believe it or not, that's a fucking segue for me. Yeah. So I, so I'm actually, I'm going to Mexico in March for a friend of mine from law school. That's an, that's part two. Uh, a friend of mine from law school is getting married. She's from Punjab in India, traditional Indian wedding. So one of the friends that mutual friends, that's also going to be at the wedding, um, Allison, she and I, while we were in law school, went to a UFC fight at a casino. I love UFC. In Sacramento, north of Sacramento. I went to law school in Sacramento at uh, McGeorge, University of the Pacific. I got so hammered that Allison had to wheel me out in a, like she had to take me out of the casino in a wheelchair. Yikes. And I couldn't sit upright on my own. They had to You're strap swamped. it around. <gasps> Did you get chest. the spit mask? I got the whole thing, like to no. hold my head back and everything. Yeah. So. <gasps> Did anyone take pictures? Cause that's No, no, that was like 2002. It was, okay. it was pre like cameras and, but it was sophomore still a little, but, okay. or like it was rudimentary, I guess. Yeah. Still. I don't know. We had the like Motorola razor, I guess. Yeah. Or, you got the little like pixelated camera yeah. in there. I don't but. know. I made some pretty, I made some pretty nice home videos on, on, the, on that camera, believe it or not, on that <laughs> All little All 15 but. seconds of it. It'd be great for an Instagram story. What do you, what do you, oh, you're insinuating that the video could only take 15 seconds. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I went, somewhere, I went somewhere else with that. I like, know how you How dare did. you? I yeah. brought you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking technology here, yeah, damn yeah. it. Yeah, um, but, but there, there will be what I think you have this 
this shift of the bottom. And if you've had this moment of, of awareness and, and growth from there, you will have reminders of like micro bottoms. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a bottom for some people? Yeah. Uh, and juxtapose that with similarly, I could still be a lawyer practicing law, making a, a lot more money, but instead I uh, teach private yoga and I teach yoga in a couple of gyms and teach meditation and mindfulness practices to teachers and have you met my friend Erin Sohn? Mm-mm. I need to introduce you. So she owns Eat Yoga Drink. What? Yeah. So she yeah. she teaches mindfulness and and yoga, and she started as an educator in um, elementary schools in Arlington wow. County, yep. and so she teaches teachers mindfulness. That's yeah. I'm I'm working on getting there because I do some substitute teaching also, and then I have some teachers individually in a private school where I do some work with mindfulness and meditation practices. Cool, Aaron Son, if you're listening, then you need to connect. I'm yeah, sending it out up. there to all of you. <sighs> link up with me. There's so much overlap in all. Of Come my down to. Guests. I'm running my first yoga. I'm actually running my first workshop. On when? February six. February sixteenth down at the one of the gyms where I teach yoga in South Hill, Virginia. It's a long ways from here. It is, but if we have any listeners that are down yeah. there, then. They can Which find you. Never, you. Yeah, you radio, never know. Radio waves are. Listen, I have a map. I have people in <clears throat> California, New York, and Florida, and Texas listening. I believe it. It's probably my relatives, but it's all good. <sighs> yeah. So, so how do you? And we've kind of already talked about this, but we the tools that you use to leverage the micro bottoms now, because I'm assuming that there's no big bottom happening for you. Not now. Not right now. Not right now. Not that we're aware of. So yeah, I mean the differences in. Uh, practicing the shift of, of perspective and we talked a little earlier about recognizing that all of these um, these emotions these things that we feel these things that we sense you know our mind our ego we receive information through our senses all these different ways and our mind wants to make sense of all of it and to categorize it and some of the fallout from that are the things that we feel you know like you uh, driving down the interstate and everything's good you're having a great day and you see a blue Honda drive by you right and your your ex drove a blue Honda, Mm-mm. and so like your heart starts racing, right? And your blood pressure goes up, and you're right. And it doesn't even have to be, but you saw the car. Your body doesn't know the difference, mm-hmm. right? But you know the difference. So then you're like, well, who is you? Like my body is reacting to this feeling, but I know that that's not actually happening. Like there is no ex in that car. Mm-hmm. And even if there is the ex, even if yeah, I'm still okay. Yeah. And so to understand that that like to be able to observe that that response is happening, but to not identify with being the response and mm. and or being the feeling like. I love that mantra. I'm still okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great reminder. Like no matter what fear, what anxiety, what crappy news you get, asking yourself, are you still okay? Right now, in right one now, moment. at this blip of a moment, yes. not five weeks from now, five months from now. Come back to your breath yeah. and be okay. Right, more than okay. My, I'm a, one of I'm my mantras though. I repeat is uh, "Aham Prakasha," which is Sanskrit. I am light. Mm-hmm. And right now, in this moment, no matter what's happening, the pain I'm experiencing or anything, my anxiety is typically tied to the idea that I will have to continue to experience this in the future. But right now, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. But when I start to think about managing it in the future well now i've already committed myself to a moment that doesn't belong to me yet yeah you've imprisoned yourself in the fear yeah i've i've made myself a debtor to to you know up to something i never actually have to pay like i'm creating these you know artificial debts to pay yeah these things will probably never happen it's not the event itself that we get upset about it's the story we tell ourselves about the event it's so interesting that you say that because um aaron so i'm gonna 
do a name drop again. She said that emotions only last up to 90 seconds, but the retelling of the story and the feelings attached with it are what allow it to persist and manifest into yeah, something damn, else. That's, that's a wisdom from a queen right there. She is the queen. Is. Yeah. You know, I only hang out with royalty. <laughs> yeah, F&A Kai. But I, I said that to someone, and like people who are not enlightened think it's a joke. They're like, then why am I so pissed off? I'm like, because you're choosing to be. Well, that pisses them off even more. Because then they get into, well, they did this, and they did this, and they did this. I'm like, okay, you're still choosing to react that way. We get conditioned and habituated to, we, we think that when we feel that way, that we have to behave that way, because yeah. that's how we've always behaved. And you really have to, it's like anything else, yoga practice, not yoga perfect, right, or anything yep. practice. You have to try one time to do it different. Mm. Just once. If I can, in the middle of being super, super pissed off, Rab, like it doesn't have to be hug somebody and tell them you love them. Or if I can, instead of saying, well, they did this, 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 if I can stop and like write on a piece of paper, I am grateful I have 10 fingers and 10 toes. Or I'm grateful or I have a toe. A, any, anything. <laughs> if you just try to do something different, anything different. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about overeating. That, that was part of how my addiction manifested. Yeah. I would overeat at night. And one of the things that I did to help to help arrest that habit was change what I would do of coming home and turning on the TV. And yeah. So instead, I I came home and I I took the TV out of my room. I came mm-hmm. home and I put a record on vinyl and just the mindfulness of like taking a record out of the wrapper, opening the cover, putting the needle on. It takes more time. It takes more attention. Mm-hmm. It's far more mindful. And just in the time that it takes me to do that, instead of flipping the TV on and going through this pattern where I then go into the refrigerator, it's this fucking weird. So I disrupted the pattern yeah. just once, and I didn't overeat that night. And I said, okay, so the, so the, so the, power, like, so the power has been within me the whole time. Mm-hmm. The power was always so within it, you. All, yeah. Always. Like, yeah. I've never been without this power. I have never been disconnected. I've never been truly disconnected from my ability to not eat at night. Mm-hmm. But I've told myself stories that I am. Mm-hmm. And so I know that that story is not true anymore. I'm going to keep hearing the story. Mm-hmm. My brain is really convinced that I need to eat, and it's going to keep telling me. But if I recognize that that's a story in my head, who am I? Who am I that hears the story? Mm-hmm. I am stillness. I am peace. I am the one that's observing, that's hearing. Who the fuck is that? You know, how do I get back and you, you can try to like, I back up and like, yeah. <laughs> do I identify with my eyes because I, you know, I see and I take, do I identify with my brain because that's where my thoughts are? Like, well, who's asking that question? Yeah. You. Totally. Like, and I, I'm a firm believer that whatever's going on in your gut is you. Like that, The gut the, brain, girl. The gut brain Hell is where it's yeah. at. So if you ain't feeding your gut properly, your gut brain is whack. Hashtag go vegan. Hashtag go vegan. <laughs> my sister would love you in for New the Zealand. Animals. I have yes. a giant V, the vegan. It's tattooed on my arm right here. <laughs> I have yeah. a GF for gluten-free. Do you really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm that'd totally be so kidding. badass. You, you reeled me right in. <laughs> I did. I'm a good Shit, bullshit artist. Shit, we were almost a super twins. I know, right? No. And I got my last tattoo when I was 18 when it was legal, and I just said no more. I'm a rebel. I only do things when I'm not supposed to. Yeah, but it's uh. it's this, this whole thing of like the mind-body awareness and the pause and the silence. And so... When I hear from people, because my book is out, I did subscription boxes, so I've been exposed to people that I've never met before, and they're like, what do I do in these situations where I feel like everything's happening at me and I'm lost and I don't know what to do? I said, you do nothing. You do absolutely nothing, and just ask yourself questions and get really curious with yourself. Brilliant, Lauren. Brilliant. 
That's right. Yeah. Stop trying to fix it. With gurus and shit, you're not ready for it. Mm. No expert is going to tell you how you need to treat yourself right now. So do nothing. I I can't tell you how many times since, since I've had this practice in my life that I have been in a situation where I was totally freaked out not knowing what I was going to do and reminded myself, oh my God, thank God I can just do nothing. Mm-hmm. Or like, what am I going to say when I get there? Like, whew, fuck, that's right. I can always just not fucking talk. Yeah. And Listening is sometimes the best tactic. In fact, it always is. Yeah. Because you get all the content and everyone else starts spinning around like tops not knowing what the hell they're doing. No one's expecting you to talk. No one is. You know, I'm, you tell yourself a story that you got to perform or like people expect a certain... Just keep you. Just I don't know. When I'm on stage and I see a mic, I got to perform. Yeah, I'm I mean, so uh, sorry. Jaffiel, Jaffiel. Yeah, singing is a little now, different. Now I'm singing and rapping. It's a whole thing with the we, tambourine. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. guys are crushing it. What was the... Um, fuck, I heard a song today. I swear to God, I heard a song today that I said that Justin's voice would be perfect. He's got to cover this song because I'm a huge fan of covers. I'm yeah. going to remember. Did you hear... Oh, the- I, um, Three Rounds in a Sound by Blind Pilot. All right, I'll write it down for him. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll text it to him. Like, yeah. yeah. It's funny, we're now getting like more messages from people of like, you two need to cover this, you need to cover this. Oh, for it's real? It's really funny. Yeah, yeah. like someone, someone said, I'm not going to be on your podcast until you guys cover this song. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm like, that feels like a little threatening to me, but I'll do it because it's uh, fun. It's for the people. That's so singing, playing guitar, like when you met me at the Nine that night, that lit, so after the documentary, when it, it premiered at the um, film festival in New York, Doc, New York City. Mm-hmm. I played an original song to open that film festival. <gasps> Biggest film festival in the so country. So cool. And now I am doing a four-song album that Jeffrey is producing. No way. And no shit. I'm not kidding. Jeffrey and I had this conversation. We were talking today in a, in last week a little bit. I said uh, when I – it went from recording one song to, like, let's do four. And Because Jeffrey plays guitar. He was mm-hmm. in Cadillac the, uh, Cadillac Records, the movie, with yeah. the Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. And he learned to play guitar for that movie. <gasps> he can fucking wail. Like, What does that man not do? Yeah, no, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. There's a trailer out now for a new movie that he's in on HBO called OG. you got to mm-hmm. look at the trailer. Je- Jeffrey's – and he's – He's like just a dude from Brooklyn also. Yeah. Like we went to, we were out in San Diego together and like we went surfing and he's just like super chill and signs everybody's autograph and takes pictures with everyone. And um, he's just a great, great dude. I love that no matter what success you reach, you're still who you are. And I've met very few people that I can say that about. One is Tim Kaine, the U.S. Senator. He's so cool and so genuine. And my friend now, Miss United States Andromeda Peters, who yeah. was on the show the previous week, I, I talked to her when she had she won Miss Virginia and was preparing for Miss United States. She is the same person through and through. Yeah, it doesn't matter what platform she has. She's like, yeah, I'm just I'm just me because I know that this is temporary. Like, why would I be my label? That's dumb. But so many people get wrapped into the number of likes or the the exposure that they're getting or the whatever platform is getting to like I never want to change like I don't care if I'm talking to Oprah like I'm still going to be me I'm still oh. New Jersey fresh <laughs> Is there anything fresh in New Jersey or Um there's no ease in my Jersey fresh <gasps> Don't you laugh at that oh, That's my, my rap name man my stars <laughs> That's my rap name. Okay, so, Jersey Fresh. Jersey Fresh with no vowels. No vowels. Okay, dig it. Dig it. Yeah. Uh, so I asked Jeffrey if we could go from one song to doing four. And yeah. if he wanted to play one. And he was like, yeah, cool. I'll do a, we'll do a song. And then he said, but think about 
who else you might want to do a song with? Like, do you have any friends that, like, if you know anybody do else? Do you know any musicians? Yeah, we just had that conversation. <laughs> so I immediately thought of Justin, Eli, Mariel Craft, uh, Emma G. Uh, That's cool. Like, all, there's so many brilliant uh, DC musicians. That, yeah, but if you're only getting four songs. I know. You got to be, like, the highlight man. Well, I, I have two of my songs that I wrote are on there. And so okay. then I was like, look. I mean, do we do... So we're still sorting it out right now. I mean, why does it have to just be four? Well, Jeffrey's paying for it, so I'm not trying uh, to spend his money. I don't know. I, I know some very, like, low-cost I assume producers. he's paying for it. I didn't pay for anything. We went into the studio, Brooklyn recording, like, uh, um, yeah, Brooklyn recording on the 69th Street there in Brooklyn, and it... That's and, awesome. Yeah, I didn't pay for anything. I, um, that's where Nora Jones recorded the Come Away With Me album. Mm-hmm. So and Justin I played used, with her guitarist. Tony who, Dorch played guitar on my So Adam, Adam Levy was playing with Nora Jones, too, and he's on Justin's EP for one of oh, his nice. songs. He did one of the guitar solos. Um, I think he also did Tracy Chapman, but I don't know. There's a lot of Nora Jones connections here. Yeah. Her Gibson J45 is still in the studio. I'm pretend I know what the hell that is. It's a nice guitar. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a guitar because I know yeah, the it's brand. It's a nice one. Yeah. yeah, I'm clearly not a musician, but it's okay. But it... I think that we, we have talked about bottoms. Yeah. Well, we've talked about one bottom. We don't yeah. need to talk about the other bottoms. That's another podcast. Well, the whole, yeah, I mean, I, did we get it on the second one? I think we did, yeah. Yeah, we talk, we talk about them. <laughs> yeah, but th- I think this is great. And, you know, I think bottoms are awesome and necessary for whatever growth you're going towards. And I know that I actually look forward to having those moments where I'm not feeling great so that I can remind myself what I'm about, what I'm doing, what my quest is. Like, it's got to be my own little kick in the ass. And I always think of, like, your bottom is like a swimming pool. Once your feet are firmly planted on it, you can launch yourself up. Fucking A, man. Get to the surface. You know, I made myself a promise. I wrote myself a letter uh, that um, when I was coming out, like, when I was on the way up, and uh, something that I've learned that I believe to be true, and I wrote myself a letter to to remind me. I I put it in a card, and I mailed it to to myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's um, that everything I experience is always going to find its place in my story. Yeah. And, and that I like savor the moments where you have no fucking clue where you're going or how this fits in. It can't possibly fit in. It can't. Me getting kicked out of the Marine Corps and being addicted to opiates and my wife leaving me, this cannot possibly be where I grow my wings from. Can it? Can it? Why can't it? Yeah, I, yeah. So the, the great... I have to remind myself all the time. I do all the time now. I promise, I, Bobby. I promise you, this will find its place in your story. Don't try to shove it into the story right now. Just let it be a thing—not a thing that happens to you, but just a thing. It's a chapter that will somehow recirculate back in. It's mm-hmm. a character in the plot, yeah. but you are the continuation of the story. So therefore, it has to be part of it. It has to be. I mean, look at me now. You know, I'm so all of it. That's why we should never try to bury aspects of our lives. We should never try to deny things. Even the worst, what we see as the worst part of us could be the most beautiful part for somebody else. So that's why we, you know, our story is not for everybody. Our diary is not for anyone. Fuck, that's for sure. So you can tell whatever side of the story you want as long as it's your true story. And you don't have to give the nitty gritty details, but your ability to tell your story is your ability to inspire others just by showing up. You're never going to get out of that story if you don't tell it true either. No. You can I either mean, be the teller of your story. You can let the story tell you. You're okay. It yeah. just isn't sustainable. 
No. And and people want to like people want to love you more than you think they do. Yeah. Even it's, if you're an asshole, people even if you're want to asshole. love you. So go ahead and get loved, people. <laughs> get your love and find your bottom. Yeah, reach around, grab no, it with both hands. Grab it with sure both hands. Make sure you got it. Make sure it's bouncing and jiggling. <laughs> I think this is Make the sure perfect it's... time to wrap this show. We have gone to the gutter. Groovy. And Bobby, thank you so much for, for hanging out, coming down to Southwest to chat with us. And no doubt. Hopefully I'll get some of the sound bites of our awesome conversation. Oh, that would be so great. I yeah, know. there's some good stuff in there with the race, the running in India. Yeah, and... your crazy hundred mile, two hundred kilometer. I don't even know. I don't do math when it comes yeah, to. Yeah, it was a lot. Lots of numbers. Lots of numbers. Lots of running. Uh, if you want to check your music out or the documentary, where should they go? Uh, there's a website for the documentary, www.wearenotdoneyetfilm.com. You could also stream it on HBO's website. I think still. And my music and blog is at uh, robertflagman.com. Awesome. So I'll put links up in the show notes and uh, cool. hope you'll come back and talk about the the album when it's ready to come out and, and all the other awesome shit because yeah, you ain't sure. done yet, sir. No, not at all. You were just getting started. Little baby giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And to all the little baby giraffe spitfires out there, keep being awesome.